nowadays the feminized man, we have the metrosexual man, we have the alpha man, we have the beta man, we have the macho man, but where is the godly man? We should see real manhood as putting to death those nasty sins that destroy our relationship with our wives, daughters, sons, and our church. That's real manhood. We desperately need sound doctrine. We desperately need sound theology of what is, what is biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And I want you to please open your Bibles to Titus. Titus chapter 2. We have been walking through this short but very powerful letter. And today we are going to continue covering the first part of chapter 2. So please, if you can, would you stand and I'll be reading starting in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger man to be self-controlled and show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Teach these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You may be seated, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Uh, the Christian Post published an article some years ago about the masculinity crisis that we are facing in our country. And the article had two different authors, and there were two religious leaders, and these two different men, they were arguing for the crisis in the masculinity in our country from two different angles. So one was arguing primarily from the perspective of physical strength, how men nowadays, they lack physical strength. And the other was arguing for a lack of character strength. Even though both, despite the fact that both had different angles and they would kind of disagree in certain areas, 
both agreed that there was a crisis with masculinity, with manhood in our country. The article goes on to say, it says, most men today are not just physically weaker than previous generations. They're weaker as people. Guys stricken with Peter Pan syndrome, never leaving adolescence. Safe spaces on college campuses protecting perper perpetually fragile, constant victims from serious debate. The hookup culture and porn addiction replacing gentleness, chivalry. And the sexual revolution promulgating through media, education, and now law that there is no such thing as male and female. What we are seeing is not a, a different expression of masculinity, adapting, adapting to new cultural realities. No, no, no. What we are seeing is no masculinity at all. We have nowadays the feminized man, we have the metrosexual man, we have the alpha man, we have the beta man, we have the macho man, but where is the godly man? Where is the Christ-like man that we so desperately need? And sadly, this identity crisis as it comes to manhood and womanhood has made a way into so many families, Christian families, and sadly, heartbreakingly, in so many churches. Many people have been seduced and confused by our culture instead of being instructed by the scriptures. Yesterday, I did a search on Amazon to see the best-selling books for Christian men and popped this list here, Amazon's bestsellers in Christian men's issues. And we see the problem here, the title of the books and then the description of the book. So the first one is three-minute devotions for men. So that's what men need, very short, superficial theological teaching. So three-minute devotions for men, 180 encouraging readings. Another one is Stand Strong, 365 devotions for men by men. Men's devotional for dads, a year of prayer, guidance, and wisdom. It's all these short, superficial devotions, as if man does not need deep theological teaching. And then you come to the one that we saw last week, Wild at Heart, Expanded Edition, Discovering the Secret of a Man's Soul. And then you have the Warrior Poet Way, A Guide to Living Free and Dying Well. And in light of just the, the books, you can see that, that there is indeed a crisis. When Christian men are seeking after these superficial things, it's very pathetic, honestly. And we are tempering for this type of man, as if they don't need to read real, deep, theological books. And in light of this crisis, especially the fact that modern man has been marked by weakness and femininity, it's tempting for the church to run to the other way. So you, every time you have a crisis, it, it, people run to different directions, the opposite directions. If one biblical extreme is the feminized and the metrosexual man, the other unbiblical extreme is the wild, aggressive, undomesticated man. And I think many men in church are more prone and tempted to go to the extreme of the wild, the old marine type, the one who smokes a cigar, drinks his beer, says some bad words, some cursing words here and there, 
He has his guns. And love posting his pictures as this manly man with his cigar, his beer, his guns. And people start being, especially men in church, start being attracted to this type of masculinity. Mark Driscoll is a great example of that. Why so many men were falling after Mark Driscoll, this type of man. Last sermon, we looked at the best-selling book for Christians for a long time. That was The Wild at Heart. And Wild at Heart continues in the list as the top four or five books that men, Christian men, are purchasing or Christian women are purchasing for their husbands. And it was interesting that after I preached last Sunday, somebody came to me and said that a big church in town many years ago actually invited John Elder to be the speaker of a men's conference. And you remember that the main, the main theology of that book, Wild at Heart, is that the core of man's heart is undomesticated. That's what John Weldon says. Man is undomesticated. Man is called to be wild. So he, I was reading this week, refreshing my mind with waste of time, but at least I need to make sure what people are reading, because many of you have been impacted by this type of theology, and many men in church are being contaminated with these things. So, you're welcome. For <laughs> John Elder, he writes in the introduction, he says that we don't need another book for men. What we need is permission. And he says, permission to be what we are, men. And then he says, we need permission to live from the heart and not from the list of should and not you that has left so many of us frustrated and bored. So what he's saying is we don't need a list of oughts, musts. What we need is just let men be wild. Meaning, all the lists that we have in the New Testament of a man, what a man is supposed to be, what a man ought to be, we just throw that out in the garbage. We don't need a list of oughts and musts. God got wrong. Paul got wrong. We don't need that. He says that the road to hell is full of men who are responsible, sensitive, disciplined, faithful, diligent, and dutiful. He says that what man needs is not a, a, a list of exhortations of what they need to be. He says that men need a deeper understanding of why they long for adventures and battles and a beauty. As if every man longed for adventures. And, and what do you mean by adventure? Going camping? Going hiking? Going hunting? That's what men need. Men, do, men don't need a list of older men shall be like that or younger men shall be like that. No, you don't need that. You need a deeper understanding of why they long for adventures and battles and a beauty and why God made them just like that. So he offers this book, Wild at Heart, as a safari to the heart to recover a life of freedom, passion, and adventure. So for Eldridge's, I was reading the book, looking back again, one of the main reasons for this crisis in masculinity is the lack of this war-type man. So he keeps bringing uh, movies about war, gladiator, and, uh, and he literally says that one day God spoke to him, 
in a prayer, God told him, he says, that God told him that he is the man in the arena whose face is covered with blood and sweat and dust. You are a great warrior, God is telling him. Yes, even Maximus. Meaning God is speaking to him through gladiator that he is the man. But there, the truth is that the real, the real man, the real and godly man, the, I would say the, <laughs> the greatest war that we face is not this type of war that he's talking about. The most bloody and gruesome battle any real Christian man can face is the battle with the remaining sin in his life. Instead of picturing real manhood as grabbing weapons, smoking cigars, shooting, shooting things, going to the wild, hunting, killing bad guys, we should see real manhood as putting to death those nasty sins that destroy our relationship with our wives, daughters, sons, and our church. That's real manhood. It's when I'm striving to kill those sins that destroy my relationship with my beloved family and church family. Richard Phillips, and I highly recommend his book, Masculine Mandate, he says, and he used to be a tanker. He used to smoke the cigars and be a tanker, and he says, I used to think that if a man came into my house to attack my wife, I would certainly stand up to him. But then I came to realize that the man who enters my house and assaults my wife every day is me. Through my anger, my harsh words, my complaints, and my indifference. As a Christian, I came to realize that the man I need to kill in order to protect my wife is myself as a sinner. That's real manhood. True masculinity. And there is no surprise a book that has bad theology on manhood is going to have bad theology on womanhood also. You cannot expect that a book that has bad theology in relation to men is going to have healthy theology about women. Theology, doctrine, it's all connected. So if you read a book, you see that he starts talking about women and, and expressing his really poor theology and doctrine about women also. So he says in the book, because we're going to cover women today, he says, my friend Jan says that a woman who is living, look at that, a woman who is living out her true design will be valiant, valiant, vulnerable, and scandalous. That's a far cry from the church ladies that we hold up as models of Christian femininity. Those busy and tired, rigid women who have reduced their hearts to a few mild desires and pretend everything is going just great. And then he goes on to give examples of wonderful women in the Bible. And he says that Rahab, he literally says that Rahab went to the Hall of Fame because she committed treason. He says that the main theme of the book of Ruth is how does, that's the, the main theme of the book of Ruth, how does a good woman help her man play the man? And he says that the answer is simple. She, she seduces him. She used all that she has as a woman to arouse him to be a man. He goes on to write, I'm telling you that the church has really crippled women, crippled women when it tells them that their beauty is vain. 
And they are at their feminine best when they are serving others. Yes, so 1 Timothy 2, Titus 2, 1 Peter 3, that's not good. Sadly, the identity crisis as to what biblical womanhood and manhood can be seen even in some best-selling books in the Christian bookstore. We desperately need sound doctrine. We desperately need sound theology of what is what is biblical manhood and biblical womanhood? Not only what is a woman, but what is a godly woman like? What is a Christ-like woman like? We know that we cannot look to our culture. We cannot be staring at the society. We know that sadly we cannot be looking at the best-selling Christian books. What we need is right here. And Titus 2 is a wonderful portion of the scriptures to help us. There is no need for a crisis in the church. Amen? So as we come to Titus 2, you remember, look at chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. And it's flowing from this command here that Paul left Titus in Crete to put things in order. He needs to organize. He needs to establish things, reorganize the church, set the things in order, because God is a God of order, and the church must be ordered. And as an aspect of, we saw that one aspect is to put faithful leaders, remove unfaithful leaders, and now he's showing how part of being an orderly church is to have orderly lives, lives that are well ordered by the teachings of the scripture. So, we are going to continue here. I, I don't know how many Sundays we are going to be in this section here. But you have the outline just so we can have an idea what we are going to be doing. And the call to pastors, and just following Paul as he's instructing. Then the call to older men, the call to older women. And that's where we're going to stop here today. So, we saw last Lord's Day the call to pastors to preach sound doctrine. To preach healthy doctrine. So he says, look at verse 1. But as for you, referring, there is a contrast. The false teachers are to be silenced. The false teachers are not supposed to speak. They're supposed to be rebuked. They're supposed to be removed. But as for you, Titus, but as for you, you speak. And the faithful elders following after you, they are to speak. And you are to speak what I'm telling you to speak. As for you, remember that, how many verses we saw last Sunday where Paul says, but as for you, men of God, as for you, there is a contrast. It doesn't matter what other pastors, what other preachers are doing, you do what the Lord is telling you to do. And we saw, look at verse 9 of chapter 1. We saw that the elders, they must hold firm to the trustworthy. Trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction, what? In sound doctrine. So there is the teaching of sound doctrine. We are commanded to teach and preach sound doctrine. But Paul changes here and he says that, the, look at that. But as for you, teach what? Teach what accords, what is fitting with sound doctrine. Remember that? That's very important. The preacher is not just supposed to be, to, to be preaching and teaching sound doctrine. 
but he's supposed to be preaching how people are supposed to live in, in light of the sound doctrine. It's not enough just for me to give the doctrine of the Trinity. We are commanded to tell you, okay, so now what? That's how you live in light of these doctrines. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here through Titus. And we see the, the inseparability of sound teaching and healthy living. Healthy doctrine will lead to healthy lifestyle. We need that. So, let's go to number two. The call to older men. So there was the call to Titus, and now there is the call to older men. The first group is the older men. We saw that this Greek word, it varies. Do you remember that this Greek word varies? So depending on the Greek document that you have, it's going to refer maybe to men who are 40 and over. Some Greek documents are going to say that men who are 50 and over. Some documents are going to say that men who are 60 and over. I like the 60 and over. I prefer that one. Older men are those who are 60 and over. I, I'm not a big fan of the ones that say that 40s and older. So that's what Paul is telling. Okay, now let's focus because these older men in the church, they're vital. They're vital to help with the oversight and the discipleship in the life of the church. And Paul says that they must be marked by having a sober mind, by being dignified, by having self-control. We saw that last Lord's Day. That's where we stop, right? Self-control. Now Paul is going to continue and he gives another one. Look at that. Uh, going back there to verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. And now he says, and he gives a three-in-one. Sound or healthy in what? Faith, love, steadfastness. And Paul is using that favorite word here in Titus, healthy or sound. What does it mean? Yes, and think about something sound or healthy. It's the opposite of something sick that's dying. So they are supposed to be alive and well and healthy, life-giving in three areas that Paul gives here. So you see that as we are getting older, as we are getting older, it's a, a painful realization that our physical health declines. I have never had to take so many vitamins and, and medicine in my life. So as we get older, the, the physical health declines, we get weaker. But biblically speaking, as we get older, our spiritual health must be growing and strengthened. So that's what Paul says. He tells in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And Paul tells that the older men are supposed to be healthy in three main areas. And then he gives us a, a, a triad. Remember, Paul is big into the triad, connecting to the triune God. And he often talks about faith, love, and hope. Here he talks about faith, love, and endurance. That's similar to hope. So he says, first of all, the older men in the church, they are to be healthy in the faith or healthy in faith. 
What does it mean to be sound in faith? What does it mean to be healthy in faith? Uh, the Greek construction here actually has a definite article before faith and, and says sound in the faith. And that's important. Why? The faith, with the definite article, the faith refers to what? When Judas says, contend for the faith, what is he talking about? For the gospel, right? The, the doctrines, the, the basic draw doctrines that, that form our belief, our understanding of who Christ is. Jude did not say, fight for faith. He's saying, fight for the faith, fight for the gospel, fight for that body of doctrines that has been preserved, that brings people to salvation and sanctification. So you can say that the faith is the body of sound doctrine. And the older men in the church, they must be the men who know and treasure sound doctrine. The older Christian men in the church, they must be men who study the scriptures. They sit under healthy teaching, they study and they're healthy in their understanding of the doctrines of the Bible. It's sad when couples, you have couples where they have been in church for a long time, and the women are healthier in the teachings of the Bible than their husbands. The older men, they have a duty. They have a duty to be leading the home, studying the scriptures. We cannot have, and we, we, men here, we cannot be spineless jellyfish who have no sound conviction of the sound doctrine. Toss it to and throw. Oh, what do you believe? Oh, I don't know. Ask my wife. Oh, what do you believe? I don't know. Ask my pastor. Oh, I don't know. We need to know what we believe. Be sound. Be healthy in the understanding of the teaching so we can protect the, the church. As the older man, sometimes people are going to come and visit the church and you're listening to this person saying some things that are not good. You have a duty to protect the church from unhealthy teachings. So you need to know the healthy teachings. Amen? Doriani and Phillips, they say, Object objectively, a man must learn sound doctrine from the Bible so that he understands God, understands man, the doctrine of man, sin, and salvation. He must be able to detect the false teaching that would cripple his life. Above all, he must know the faith in Jesus uh, is the only way of salvation, since Christ alone has gained the forgiveness of our sins. And then he says, subjectively, he must have been trained in exercising faith, having learned through experience the value of trusting in a God who has proved to be faithful. That's the type of older men that we desperately need in our church. Older men who are sound, who are healthy in the faith, and they're healthy in faith. What does it mean to be healthy in faith? Meaning that they're trusting Jesus. What is to believe in Christ? What is to, be, to have faith in Jesus? It's to embrace Jesus. It's to claim that Jesus is mine. I'm His. His righteousness is mine. Amen to His life and death and resurrection. That's Older men, they must be men who you look at them and you walk with them and you see, you can smell, you can taste that their faith is real, that they love Christ, that they treasure Christ. 
that they walk with Christ. That's what is to be healthy in the faith. They know sound doctrine. They know the scriptures. And the scriptures inform the understanding of who God is. Gerald Bray, he says, Their faith must be an encouragement and an inspiration to others who lack their experience and who may be inclined to give up the quest for godliness if they meet with setbacks along the way. That's the type of older men that we need in the church, older men who will help the younger ones when they're struggling to remain faithful. Take hold of the sound doctrine. Not only that, healthy in, love, in, in faith, but healthy in love. And Paul often, you, you can see that Paul often puts together uh, faith and love. Why? Because true saving faith and true understanding of this faith will lead to a life of love. So, for example, Paul tells Timothy, he says, The aim of our charge is what? Love. That flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere what? Faith. Love and faith together. There is this inseparable connection. Men in the church, the older men, are supposed to be men marked by soundness in love. They're supposed to become more and more lovely and loving. The picture that we have is older men getting crankier and crankier. More and more selfish, Right? Oh, you lived for others. Now it's time for you to live for yourself. So the picture we have of old men, and sometimes sadly, even in the church, is those old cranky men. And no, they're supposed to be marked by love. Lovely older men in the church. Why? Because the longer you walk with Jesus, the longer you, you fellowship with the God who is love, you cannot but become more loving. Amen? The difficulties, the hardships of life, instead of hardening the heart, actually causes that older man to use those trials to bless others through love. So to be sounding and healthy in love also means what? The opposite. That you're going to hate evil. Right? To be sound and healthy in love means that you're going to hate what is evil. Dorian and Phillips, once again, they say their hearts have grown fixed to their families, to the church, and above all, to the longing desire for God. These healthy loves are joined to a corresponding hatred of sin and evil. A loving soundness will keep older men from a critical spirit that insists on finding fault. Instead, experience should make them more sympathetic to the struggles of the young more tolerant of honest mistakes, and more charitable towards the differing opinions among believers. And let me tell you that there is no way for us men to grow in soundness of love without living a life of commitment to the local church. You can't. You cannot grow in love by isolating yourself. How are you going to love others? How are you going to love if you isolate yourself? Amen? That's why the church is so important. 
It's only when you are surrounded by people. People like this with different backgrounds, different ages, different social classes. Surrounded by people that will hurt you. Which is the church. That's when you can show love. Being far away from people. You will never grow to be sound in love. Or just being surrounded and hanging out with people that you get along well or with your family will actually make you more selfish. So sometimes you see, you hear, oh, he's so loving. How is he loving? How has he been showing his love? How does he deal with, in a group of people that have different backgrounds? People who step on his toes. How does he behave? How does he respond to that? Does he show patience? Counting no wrongs. Sometimes you hear different excuses. We always hear excuses for certain behaviors, and especially when it comes excusing men from being loving and lovely. We hear, oh, that man went through a lot in his life. Oh, man, he has seen some really nasty things in the past. Oh, when he was a little boy, he never saw true love. And, and I don't want to minimize, I don't want to discount the, the, the sad, the heartbreaking experience that we go through in the past. By no means. But the truth is that if you have experienced the love of the triune God, if you have experienced the love of the Father through the Son, implanted in your heart by the Spirit, we have no excuses for not being loving and lovely. Amen? Older Christian men must be marked by love. The biblical love that hates sin and treasures the gospel. Men who are loving and lovely. So, all the men here, if we are marked by being cranky, critical, obnoxious, impatient, arrogant, we need to repent. We need to repent right now, today, because we are not supposed to be marked by that. Christ has invaded our lives. He has given us grace to be loving like He is. Amen? Last, last one here. Healthy in steadfastness. So, Paul says that the older men are to be sound in steadfastness. The older men in the church, they must be marked by a healthy perseverance. They are not those men who started the Christian journey all excited and well, and suddenly you look and they are just down the road on the floor. No, they are the ones who continue, continue healthy, sound in their perseverance pursuing Jesus Christ. The word that Paul uses here, hupomone, speaks of the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. That's the type of older men that we need in the church. Not those who run away from the battle, the spiritual battles, but those who have persevered under the hard spiritual struggles. Marshall, he says, Hupomone, endurance, patience, is the element of constancy and perseverance which maintains faith and love in the face of opposition. And every temptation to discouragement until the believer reaches the end of the long journey. It's beautiful uh, to see some older men in this church 
marked by sound perseverance. It's such an encouragement to look at some older men in this church here and see and say, I just want to walk behind you because I can see that you keep going. You keep following Christ. And that's the fruit of salvation. That's the fruit of justification. Look how Paul says, you can turn in your Bibles, turn there to Romans chapter 5. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Paul used the same Greek word here. He says, starting verse 1, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our what? Sufferings. Knowing that sufferings produces what? That's the same Greek word. Steadfastness. Endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So brothers and sisters, the sufferings that we go through, uh, let me tell the man here, the sufferings that we go through it's God's school class. That's the teaching class for us to learn how to persevere. Especially suffering. Suffering for Christ's sake. Suffering life coming under Him. And older men are supposed to be marked by a healthy steadfastness. Following Christ. So, Philip says, as we grow closer to the end of life, a Christian should think more often about heaven and the glory of Jesus Christ. We should cultivate a spiritual joy that translates into, a, uh, into an ab abiding spiritual purpose. That is to be sound, healthy, in perseverance. Brothers and sisters, how dangerous is a church full of men like that? Satan trembles to a church that's filled with men like that. Men with self-control, men who has a, a sober mind, men who are dignified, men who are healthy in the faith, in love, in perseverance. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So those are the charges for men. And you can just picture, I, I can just picture in church, as Titus is reading the letter, and as he's talking about the men, we can just picture some of the women, the wives, just elbowing their husband and say, Amen, preach it. Speak, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. Some, maybe the husband was missing, and they're just, Oh, how I wish my husband was here this morning. But then Paul turns, and nobody escapes. Nobody escapes of God's exhortations. We all need to be exhorted. That's why he says, Older women likewise. So before you try to escape, you are part of my exhortations too. Older women, younger women, older men, younger men, black, white, slave, masters, rich, poor, we all need to be exhorted, amen? We all need God's exhortation to change us. So Paul now is talking to the older women. And like the older men, I let you define who the older women are. 
And he used the adverb likewise. Why likewise? Because just like the men need to be instructed in how to live according to sound doctrine, so also the older women. Likewise. Women, older and younger, need the same, look at that, need the same pastoral attention that older men receive. Sadly, some churches treat the, the women as, as a second category of Christians, as if the men can get all the sound teaching, all the good things, and the women get the leftovers. One of the reasons I, I enjoy teaching the women's Bible study is because I want you ladies to get the best that I can give, that we can give as a church. Likewise, women need sound doctrine. They need to be taught. They need to be cared for theologically, pastorally. And older men and older, older women are always in need in the church. We always need older men and older women in the church. You might retire from your job, but you never retire from the Christian life. As long as you're breathing, you're going to be used by the Lord. Even if you're in the hospital, in your bed, you still, God is using you to bring sanctification to His people. Right? And look at what Paul says. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanders or slaves to much wine. The first one, and that's where we we're going to just work through this morning here, the first virtue, the, fir the first and the main grace that Paul is asking for all the women, look at that, older women, and there is no exception. It's not uh, older women who belong to this social class, uh, older women who are, no, all the older women, all the older women, there, there are no excuses. Older women are to be reverent in behavior. That's the ESV. So here are some different translations. The NIV has reverent in the way they live. The King James, the old English, has behavior as becometh holiness. The New Living Translation has live in a way that honors God. And, and the, the reason is, First of all, as you, you see, reverent in behavior is a synonym for the man. The man must be dignified, and the women are supposed to be reverent in behavior. So reverent in behavior is basically a synonym to be dignified. All Christians are called to be dignified, reverent in behavior. But it's a, we, we actually don't have a way to translate it. It's such a hard con concept to translate this expression here. And the reason is because the word that Paul uses here, the first word that he uses for uh, reverent, that we have reverent, it actually was a word used for the sacred, the reverent. It was used for women who were priestesses and served in temples. It speaks of a consecration and dedication to God. That's why it's so hard. This word, you don't find this word in the New Testament again. I believe that's the only time it's used in the New Testament, it refers to, was used for the women who'd serve in the temple. Women who belong to a sacred place. The next word refers to behavior, conduct. 
So one scholar says that it was to behave, what Paul is saying here is to, was to behave in a way, the women are supposed to behave in a way that reflected the sacred character of the life that they were called to live as members of the church. That's beautiful. The women are to behave in a way that reflected the sacred character of the life that they were called to live as members of the church. Sacred, reverent. We often use reverend for some ministers, right? Reverend. The women are called to be reverent. Women with dignity, reverence, how they behave as priestesses of our God and King. Women who show by how they live, by how they dress, by how they talk, by how they behave, by the places they go, by what they put in their eyes, that they are priestesses of the Holy God. You could tell a priest in the Old Testament by the way that he lived, by the way he behaved, by the way he dressed himself, right? Isn't that true? And that's the picture that we have here. These women, by how they live, you can see that they live before the face of God. Sadly, we have been losing the concept of holy reverence and behavior in the church. How many Christian women look at social media, their videos, they're just dressing and acting, conducting themselves just like the world. Their question is, how short is too short? How tight is too tight? How much cleverly is too much cleverly? Instead of asking, how is God being honored and glorified in all this? How is Christ, my Lord, being magnified by the way I behave myself? Sometimes you look at pictures, women who claim to be Christians, older women, their pictures that they post, you can make no difference between the world and them. Where is the reverent behavior of a priestess of Jesus Christ? The things you do, the things, the movies, the series that you watch, that you put before your eyes, Hours, spend hours scrolling useless pictures on social media. How is that the behavior of a priestess of Jesus Christ? How is that the behavior of one who is reverent in behavior? And that's why we need, that's why we need the example in the church. That's why Christ has given us examples of reverent women. That's why we have godly women in the church. So we can look at them and say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Reverent. The way they speak, the way they pray, the way they talk, the way they behave. I know that our ultimate example is Jesus Christ, but he has given us imperfect examples also. Men and women in the church, in church history. How often I myself ask, would Spurgeon do that? Would Spurgeon dress like that? Would, would John Calvin be like that? Because I look at this man and I say, ah, there's a pattern, you know? Would some pastor that I respect behave like that, say the things? And the same with women. 
You can ask yourself, would Susanna Spurgeon behave like that? Would Sarah Edwards speak like that, dress like that? We need to do that. Would so-and-so in the church, if you put the name of a person that you respect, an older lady in the church, would so-and-so behave like that, dress like that? And of course, there is a, you don't need to, if you are 20, 30, you don't need to dress like maybe someone who is 80. But the, the decency, the way, the way that you live your life, right? I don't want you guys to misunderstand me here. <laughs> the women in the church must show a holiness of character which commands respect by how they live. How they live, they don't need to ask for it. By how they live, people are just attracted to give respect to them. Priestly conduct, reverent lifestyle, consecration to the Lord. And that's what Paul is going to do. We don't have time here now, but that's what he's going to show us. How this reverent behavior, how to be this dignified woman, has nothing to do with being slanderous, gossiping, enslaved to much wine. Meaning, a person who is behaving like a priestess of Christ will by no means be enslaved to all sorts of idols or have no control over her mouth. That's what Paul is going to do. But as we finish here, we, we have the Lord's Supper, but as we finish... I just want to remind us, all of us, once again, and we, we need to be reminded that age makes nobody wise. Sometimes we have this idea that as you get older, you're going to get wiser automatically and worthy of respect. No. As you get older, you don't get more dignified. You don't get more reverent in behavior. It's actually the opposite. If you, do, if you are not in Christ, the older you get, the more that sin is going to manifest. What we need is fear of the Lord, is living before Christ, is to be rooted in His Word. Only then, as the time passes, then we start growing in dignity, in wisdom, in self-control, having a sober mind. Amen? And I want to say the, how we need the older men and the older women in the church. We desperately need them. They're examples. They're examples for us of what it is to be a godly person. How sad it is to see churches despising the older men and the older women. So many churches despising the older men, the older women. I remember hearing about a church where the music was so loud that older people literally said, I cannot go to that church. The music is so loud so noisy. I have heard people saying, oh, our church is not for older people. So that's an unhealthy church for sure. It's like old people saying, oh, our church is not for young people. That's an unhealthy church also. Now let me talk to the younger men as we are finishing this and they're going to continue with the older women, the younger women. But younger men and younger women here, do not wait until later to try to be like that. You need to train yourselves today. Today is the day to be training yourselves to be like this. 
Don't think that one day you're going to wake up, turn 60, and be like, oh, I'm reverent. I'm full of dignity now. I'm full of self-control. I'm sounding love. No. You've got to train yourself. It takes years to train yourself, discipline yourself. And the younger men, the young women, the health of the church depends on you. If you're not training yourself now, if you're not training yourself now, when you get older, you're going to have a church full of old people who are full of hypocrisy because they never train themselves in the grace of God to be the men and the women that God called them to be. So let us treasure, let us treasure the older men, the older women in the church who are godly, who love Christ. And my prayer is that, like Caleb, Caleb was 85 years old. He was 85 years old and he was speaking to Joshua, Joshua, give me this hill country. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive the Anakim out of this land, just as the Lord said. 85 years old. And I know that most of us are not going to reach 85 years old with the physical strength that Caleb had. But I pray that all the older men and the older women here, we pass the 85 with the same spiritual strength you see the enemies of Christ crushed. Amen? A church full of Caleb's. And as I look around, honestly, as I look around this congregation, I see the power of Christ in so many of your lives. Older men, older women. Some of you, some of us were very irreverent, lacking self-control. Completely undignified. And by the grace of Christ, He has changed us. Amen? By the grace of Christ, we look at some of you and we see who you were and who you are now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the, the whole foundation. Look at verses 11 through 14. That's why we can and must command older men and older women to behave like that. Look at that. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And look at that, training Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous, not dragging themselves, but zealous for good works. Amen. And that's what we celebrate as we come to the Lord's Supper. As we come to the Lord's table, we are being reminded and proclaimed that that grace came. That grace appeared and changed us. Empowered us to renounce ungodliness. Amen. That's what we are doing. As we are sitting at the table together, as we look at each other, holding that cup, we are saying grace came. Grace came. Father, we... We, we humble ourselves before you. Thank you so much for your tender care, your glorious grace and mercy upon us. Help us to be a church full of older men and older women, just like we see in Titus chapter 2. And we need, we need your Holy Spirit to help us. And Lord, as we prepare ourselves to partake of the Lord's Supper, 
Help us. Help us to approach our table with fear, reverence, knowing that you are a holy God and at the same time you are a God who loves to commune and have fellowship with your people. So we pray your blessing upon this time, Lord. For the glory of your name, amen.